I want you to think about your very best camping trip. Okay, take that. Now I want you to throw it away and I wanna tell you about the best camping trip that ever happened that I got to go on a few years ago. <laughs> Me and my best friends, we went to Southern Utah and Northern Arizona, we went to Zion National Park and Bryce Canyon and the Grand Canyon. Uh, we had flown into Vegas and it's interesting being on a plane to Vegas and you have like chacos on and you know sleeping bags and tents and you're like, what are you going to Vegas for? I'm like, oh, just driving through, I promise, man. Uh, <laughs> but we ended up in Zion National Park and we spent about three days there. And me and my friends Song and Sonny and Stephen Gabeo, and, and these are my best friends, y'all. Like, like we became best friends through small group. We fell in love with Jesus together and we fell in love with each other. And so we all, all go on this trip and we're having the time of our lives. And it's partly because it's beautiful, but we were playing an intentional game of dares. We were daring each other constantly to do stupid stuff. So, okay, y'all want my dare? You, all, you want me to be honest with what I had to do? Y'all want that? Okay. So we're on that, that tram that you saw earlier to get on the shuttle to go up in the canyon, you had to get in line and you had to wait in these switchbacks. Y'all know what I'm talking about? You go back and forth, right? And there's this dude and he has these, these hiking poles. You guys seen those, those hiking poles? And it's in May. It is 85 degrees outside. And my buddy's like, hey, what are the odds you ask him if he's going skiing? And I'm like, okay. So, so I go up to him and I'm like, hey, you skiing? No response. His wife leans in, hiking, we're going hiking. I'm like, oh, okay, I'm sorry. Now the worst part of this dare was that it's a switchback, right? So I had to pass them seven more times and every time it's like, this guy, everyone's in shorts and sandals, this guy's asking about skiing. Okay, I'm gonna rat out my friend's song. He had to do a dare where we're on about a mile hike, so not a long hike, and I got him on what are the odds that every single person we passed, he had to ask them, how much further is it? Every single person. <laughs> Folks, these trails are crowded. Every five seconds he's going, how much further? And they're like, oh, you're right there. And he's like, thank you. How much further? And, and so people are over and over hearing this dude ask, how much further is it to get to the end? So we're having the time of our lives, we're doing this, but it's beautiful, y'all. These canyons, it's half a mile high, red rocks, green foliage and trees everywhere with a blue river running through. And, and I mean, the whole time we're just, just, just looking at it. It's incredible, it's taking our breath away. And I'll never forget, we're on the tram coming back in and, and, and we're staring out the windows and this guy's like, it's not as good as Yosemite. And I'm like, and, and his buddy's like, yeah, I had more fun in the Alps. And I'm like, do you see what I'm seeing? Are we looking at the same thing? And then it was the same thing. You know, you run into locals when you go to places like that. And I'm eating breakfast like, oh my gosh, this is incredible. And, and, but the cook's back there just going, I need to make an omelet. Yeah, mountains, whatever, keep going. And, and, and so you see, like, like we're enamored by this beauty that we're in, right? And there's people among us who weren't. They're seeing the same things and having a totally different reaction. I don't want to take the things of God and treat them as common, amen? I don't want to take the things of God and just because something's familiar, it becomes common, it becomes ordinary, it becomes mundane. Today we're talking about the greatest commandment, the greatest commandment to love God and love people. 
And some of y'all, some of y'all right now are like, love people, love God. I got it. I'm going to go. Have a, that, that, that's how that was service, right? But, but I don't want to do that. God doesn't want us to do that. If this really is the greatest commandment to love God and to love others, I want to hear it again for the first time. Amen? Would you all pray with me that God would speak to each of us for the first time concerning the greatest commandment? Holy Spirit, would you honor your word? Jesus, your spirit, of the spirit you said that he will speak the words that I speak to you. Would you make this new to us again? God, would you make it new to us again, this great commandment to love you and to love others? God, I don't want to be in your presence and and treat you as common or as ordinary or mundane. You're always new. There is always freshness in your Holy Spirit. God, would you make this fresh for us this morning? Would you reveal things that we've never seen before this morning? God, help me to decrease that you might increase, that we might see you in a better light. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. We're continuing our Matthew series by going through the Gospel of Matthew. We're going to be in chapter 22, verse 34. So if you have your Bible with you, which you should, it's the church, right? If you open up your Bibles to Matthew 22, we're going to start in verse 34. Um, Where we're at in this period of time is this is the last week. This is the last week of Jesus' life here on earth. And, And it's the scriptures say that he set his face as flint to Jerusalem. What that means is he was determined that he knew the cross was before him, that he would be delivered over into the hands of Gentiles and sinners, that they would, uh, you know, crucify him and and go through that passion experience, and on the third day, he would rise again. So that's looking ahead. That's the pressure that's beginning to weigh on his heart and his spirit and his body. But in this chapter, it's one of the last discourses he has in the public for him. And I'm telling you, y'all, the religious people are trying to get Jesus They're rattling off question after question after question, and none of them are well-intended. All of them are to test him. All of them are to trap him. They're throwing curveball after curveball at him. But how many of you know that God is not mocked? And he's taking these curveball questions and knocking them out of the part. And so it's a wonderful thing to study this passage of Scripture because we see some of Jesus' greatest teachings come through some of the greatest pressure that he's beginning to experience. So... In this instance, in verse 34, let's just read it and then we'll take a step back what's going on. Verse 34, Matthew 22. It says, but when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Mm, Test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, this is Jesus talking, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. And so if if you look at verse 34 closely, it says, but when the Pharisees, this is one religious group, and, and they hear that the Sadducees have been silenced, they're kind of like, oh, they just struck out, batter up. Here we go. I want to get, you know, I want to get my turn at Christ and see if I can trap him. So there's this incredible competition going on, and it's landing and centering on Jesus of Nazareth. But this question that the Pharisees pose to them is it's interesting because the Pharisees, you have to understand, they have this complex structure of legalism. They would take a commandment of God and be like, okay, now this applies in 12 different areas. And then it would branch out from all 12 and like, okay, and that means do this until the very end you're like, 
And when it's 6 p.m., make sure you wash your hands three times before. You see what I mean? They had this incredible, complex structure of religious traditions. And so this, in all reality, was a common question that they would debate about, that these Pharisees and these religious teachers would get together and be like, what's the greatest commandment? What's the greatest commandment? What do you think? And so when they come to Jesus, they're coming in a heart of competition to this other religious group. They're coming in a heart of, well, let's ask you our question. Let's see what you have to say. And Jesus' response is so profound. It's so profound. And the reason it's profound is because he doesn't come up with anything new. This isn't a new teaching. This command, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, that's actually Deuteronomy chapter 6. That's actually what the Hebrews would call the Shema. This is their prayer that they would say constantly throughout their day. Every meal... Before they would eat, they would recite the Shema. They would hear these words, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, and your soul. Every time they would show up to temple, the service would start by reading this scripture in Deuteronomy 6. It's almost as if Jesus is saying, the greatest commandment is right in front of you. It's right in front of you the whole time. It's, it's that one. And, and there, there comes a kind of this indignation of like, duh, the thing you say 12 times a day, that's the most important one. And then the other scripture that he references, he says, the second is like to it, in verse 39, he says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. That's actually taken from Leviticus 19. And so Jesus' response is him pointing back to the law. It's him saying, it's already in front of you. You already know this. How many of you guys know that so many times we go to Christ and we're looking for something new, some new instruction, and God's point his finger back on something he already told you, right? That's exactly what's happening here. That's exactly what's happening here. So the great commandment is to love. What our society wants to tell you is that love is love. Love is love. And and honestly, like even from a logical standpoint, I hate it. I hate that concept because you're not really saying anything. Love is love. You're not really describing to me what love is like or what it means to love. What we actually use that phrase to mean love is love is an excuse to do what we ever, whatever we wanna do. That's actually an excuse for us to do what we want to make ourselves happy, what we think is right, instead of going to God and saying, what would you have me to do? Going to our neighbor and saying, how can I love you best? So our society says love is love, but then Jesus says love God and love people. Now it's really interesting because in the New Testament, there's actually four different types of love that is used, right? So like I walk around in my average day, I'm like, Veronica, I love you. June, I love you. Taco Bell, I love you, right? And it's just kind of this like ambiguous, you're like, man, what are you really saying? But in the New Testament, this is a fun study, is to go through and see the four different types of love used. So the first one would be storge, and that's like a, a motherly, affectionate love, a love from a parent to a child, a tenderness that you wanna take care of your baby, right? So that's storge, cool, that's up there, great. Uh, the next one is Eros, that is a sexual love. I'll let Marvin Gaye explain that one to you. I'm not gonna go in depth here. The next one is Phileo, that is a brotherly love, that is a, a buddy-buddy love, right? Philadelphia, that's where we get that word from, the city of brotherly love. But the love that Jesus used here, the love that God has for you and for me, is agape. And, and honestly, I don't like going Greek that much because I, I think it can kind of trip us up or like some of us are like, Snores up, but I want you to hear this, all right? This is agape, a benevolent, selfless love. This is the love of God. 
So everyone knows, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he sent his one and only begotten son, that whosoever might believe him shall not perish but have everlasting life. That word love, for God so loved the world, that doesn't mean that God was happy with the world. That doesn't mean, oh man, world, you give me all the feels, let me do something nice for you. Rather, God takes a look at the world, at the rebellion of man, at the sinfulness of man that has separated man from God and man from each other, and he goes, the very best thing for you is for me to step in and help. And I wanna help you to whatever cost, whatever detriment. I wanna do everything I can for your benefit. Do you see that? And so that, that helps us because sin, a good definition for sin would be selfishness. That whenever we're looking at ourselves and our lives, we need to look at the motives. Why do you do the things you do and who do you do it for? I'll say that again. Why do you do the things you do and who do you do that for? And that question of motive, it helps us to see, am I loving as God would have us love? Or am I doing something, even a good thing, but it's really for something selfish? It's really about me. I'm trying to get something out of it. Because agape love, the love of God is not self-seeking. He's not trying to get something out of us. He's not trying to get something out of the world. He's trying to give something to us. He's trying to give something to the world at his own cost. So that's agape love. Now, you look at this commandment, and, and we know Jesus is God, right? Amen? Jesus is God. And so they ask God, what's the great commandment? And Jesus goes, love God. And, and the question, you, you've, I've had this question, is that sounds a little arrogant. How is that not arrogant of God to go, love me? You know, like, you can read on the first go around, you're like, yeah, you should love me. That's probably the most important thing for you to do. And you're like, man. But when you think about God, He's the boss, right? He is Lord of all, right? How is the boss not bossy? Because he's not. If you've ever met God, he's ever spoken to, you know that the boss isn't bossy. He's very much in charge, but he is not forcing himself on people. It's, it's from the wisdom of God that he says we need to love him. It's almost as if God was to look at the whole universe, everything that's out there, and he's like, okay, what is the best thing for people? Uh, no, not be focused on the career. No, no, don't be consumed with home improvement projects. Okay, it's not fantasy football. You get disappointed every year. Okay, <laughs> you need to love me. It's as if God has looked at everything that's out there and in all humility, God comes and he's like, the very best thing for you would be to love me. The very best thing for you would be to love me. And his right to rule his right for that to be the greatest commandment is founded in his value. He's the most intrinsically valuable thing in the universe. Anything else we serve besides God, we're actually serving something beneath us. Have you ever thought that? Anything we serve besides God, we're actually serving something lower than us. The only thing that we can serve that's above us is to serve God. We're actually serving something that's worthy of our love and affection. Now, I, wanna, I want us to understand that uh, we look at the great commandment, right? And we start thinking about the law of God and it's easy to get trapped in this idea of tasks. You know what I mean? Like, like you're reading, you're like, okay, I gotta do that and I need to tithe and I have to treat my spouse with respect. You know what I mean? And you're going through like, the, you make it a laundry list. But in reality, the law of God, they're descriptions of reality from an infinite perspective. That the law of God, they are descriptions of reality from an infinite perspective. It's almost as if God is going, you want the manual? You want the user guide to life? This is it. 
This is how you were intended to function. This is how I've always meant for you to live. This is how you are wired to love me first and love your neighbor as yourself. His laws are description of reality. Do you see that? And, and they're not arbitrary things. God doesn't, you know, he's not up there in heaven going, uh, I want him to do something. Sundays, let's make Sundays a Sabbath. Everyone rest on Sundays, right? And, and the, the other way of thinking, the true way is that God is going, man needs rest. I've made man and he needs rest. Let's make this a command. Set aside one day a week. Let it be a Sabbath. This is the best thing for you, right? And so we need to take that same approach, that mindset that his laws are descriptions of reality when we look at the great commandment because it's not something arbitrary. It's not something he made up or cooked up. And, and we, we get this other idea about his commandments. We, we, you know, sometimes we can get in this mode where we're, we're acting like, man, there's so much I gotta do. You gotta tithe, gotta go to small group, gotta, and, you just, and it becomes this burden. Do you know that the word of God actually says that his commandments are not burdensome? The Bible says that the commands of God, the law of God, they're not burdensome. Another translation would be they're not grievous. Jesus says that my yoke is easy, my burden is light. When he talks about that word yoke, he's talking about like, like a cattle, they would have a yoke on. And if it fit them, it'd be very easy for them to pull the plow. But if it didn't fit properly, it'd be very difficult and uncomfortable. The law of God, they're descriptions of reality and they fit us. They fit who we are and who we're meant to be. And if we walk in those things in obedience, we're gonna find as we go further and further in the Lord that it is a joy. It is a joy to love God and put others before me. This has set me free from so much of the religiousness and following rules that we can get trapped in. Bound to the heavens, I walk the earth free. That's a wonderful quote that always helps me. Bound to heaven, I walk the earth free. Everyone who's outside of Christ, they walk around trying to fight for their own identity, for, fight for their own meaning and purpose. Bound to heaven, bound to him and him alone, I walk the earth free. Nothing can touch me. The circumstances don't come in. How my job's going doesn't come in. My finances, my relationships, my house, it doesn't come in. I'm bound to him. So his laws are descriptions of reality. Now, now his laws aren't motivations, right? They're not motivations for us to love. And, and we just talked about agape, selflessness, right? That's the definition of love, unselfishly choosing the highest good for God. But then there's this verse that always threw me. It threw me for years. The, the Bible says in 1 John, it says, we love him because he first loved us. And agape is like blaring in my, it's like red flags. I'm just like, that's selfish. Don't, nope, no, that's wrong. This must, we gotta, we gotta wipe this out. This shouldn't be in there. But it says, we love him because he first loved us. And I'm like, okay, what does this mean? The Bible says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died. While we were yet sinners, Christ died. That means that God has sacrificed everything for me before I existed. That God has laid down everything for me when I was still in rebellion and going against him. God has laid down everything on my behalf while I was still using him and using other people for my own selfish gain. And, and when you catch a glimpse of the cross and you realize that it's God hanging there, and Jesus says, no man takes my life, I lay it down. No man takes, takes the life of Christ. He laid it down on his own accord. 
He was up there on his own will. He chose to let them pierce his hands with those nails. He chose to let the crown of thorns be on him. He chose to let them beat him and whip him and mar him and scar him and mock him. And he did it for you and me. And you go, that's the love of God. That's what love actually is. Jesus says, greater man has no love than this, than that a man would lay down his life for his friends. And Jesus laid down his whole life for all of creation, for all time. And you see that, and it changes you. And it makes you different. And my love for God isn't going, man, you did something for me. Let me, let me do something back for you. Rather, it's, God, you gave me everything. You gave me everything. I want you to have the very best in my life. I want you to have the very best in my life. And this commandment to love God with all, a better, a better translation instead of all would be whole. It would be whole. Because we're not trying to give God a quantity. We're not going, going God asking how much. Rather, we're going to God saying, I want to give you my very best. Whatever that is, I'll give you my very best. And so many times we can stuck in thinking about God wants this quantity from me and how much that is that we're going, okay, I need to give, I need to serve, I need to go to small group, I need to read. And then you're looking over your shoulder at the person to the left or right, you're going, okay, how much are you doing? Okay, maybe I need to give more. But God wants to look you right in the eye and say, I want the very best from you. I want the very best from you. And don't look to your left or to your right about who's doing what and how much they're doing and, and how they're serving me. Look to yourself and the giftings and callings that I've put in you and give your very best to me. That's what God is saying. And, and to love God is actually freedom. I, I, that, that love of Christ being on the cross, you see that and it transforms your heart and all of a sudden you're free from yourself. I'm not having to fight for my own well-being anymore. I'm a changed man that can love regardless if you love me back or not because that's who God is, amen? And so that's why Jesus says that the second is like the first, that the love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts from the Holy Spirit and we're in love with him supremely, I can look to my neighbor and love them and I'm not looking at them to get something out of them. I'm not looking to them for them to treat me rightly or treat me well, I'm looking to them saying, how can I love you best? Because that's how God's loved me. It has made us free. And, and what I wanna highlight is that this commandment, it doesn't say love yourself. Let me make that clear. It does not say to love yourself. God wants to love you. God himself wants to love you. And we're free from trying to take care of ourselves in order that we might take care of him. And, and this is the craziest thing that changed my perspective. The healthiest people that I know are the ones who aren't focused about themselves. They're not worried about their own life or circumstances. They're focused on God. And they're focused on the people in their lives and how they can help them. And it's a, it's a marvelous thing to see because you realize like, man, they're really doing okay. <laughs> Everything's good in here. They walk around and they're happy and they're full of joy and they're full of peace and they're not fighting for it. How did they get here? Folks, this is a secret. Don't think about yourself, think about God, think about other people. And I'm not saying let yourself go by the wayside, right? I'm not saying, you know, eat whatever you want, don't worry about dieting or anything like that. But what if all those things that you tried to do on your own strength for you, you're now doing on God's strength for him. You're now doing on his strength for other people for the very best. What if your devotional life wasn't so much, God, give me a word, I need to hear something or I'm not gonna make it through today. Instead, what if it was, God, they're going through a really hard time. Would you speak? God, they're really suffering. What do they need to hear? 
God, I'm, I'm really trying to figure this out for my spouse. What does your word have to say? Would you speak to me? Do you see that? Do you see how God wants to come into that motive and that heart of God, I wanna give more of you and he's willing to give when our heart's like that? These people, they came to him asking these questions and they came for a test. They weren't really trying to get something from him. They really weren't you know, having open a listening ear to receive from God that they might submit to him. And so they didn't really get anything out of him. But his disciples, they gave up everything and they got everything from Christ. Do you see that? We need to love others as ourselves want to be loved. And, and that clears so much of the mess, right? I know about you, but for me, there's so many situations and times and people where I'm just like, okay, what do I say, what do I say, what do I say, what's the right thing to say? And then I'm like, what do I do? What's their love language? Do they like gift? Do they like time? Do they want words, right? And, and, and Jesus just simplifies it for us. Love them like yourself. What would you want someone to do in this situation, Austin? How would you want someone to speak to you right now, Austin? And it just clears the air. It makes things so simple for us to love and to be a neighbor to those around us. And, and really what, what, what God is saying is we need to put others before ourselves. He's not just saying we need to be nice to people. He's saying you need to put others before yourself. And that's why I love small groups. By the way, small group wasn't Gateway's idea. It wasn't John's idea. It wasn't my idea. It was God's idea. Jesus had a small group. He had 12 people he lived with. And guess what? He put their needs before his own. And then in that small group, they put each other's needs before their own. And I saw that kind of love happening in a small group 10 years ago, and it changed me from the bottom of my heart. I saw people no longer fighting for their own validation and trying to get something. I saw people saying, what can I do for you? Oh, you have this going on? How can I help you? Oh, you're moving? How much time do you want? They're trying to give everything. And, and, and that's the heart of small groups is that we are putting others first. Amen? And if I could be honest with some of you this morning, less than half of us at this Northwest campus are in small groups. That means the majority of us here in this room are not in small groups. And, and, and you know, before you go, okay, he's trying to you know, meet a quota or make something happen, I want you to understand that if this is the great commandment to love God and to love other people, and that we're gonna love other people as a natural overflow of our love for God, but we're not in small groups, I have to ask the question, are we really loving God? Do we really have a relationship with others in our life, which is the purpose of small groups? And, and in all humility, I want to apologize. Maybe you've been coming for three, four years or whatever, and you've put a submission into Planning Center, and you're hoping for someone to respond back to you, invite them into your home to be a part of a small group, and it didn't come through. I'm sorry. Can I say that before you all? I'm, I'm sorry if that's happened to you. Maybe you tried getting into a small group and you did come to one, but your expectations weren't met and you were very disappointed and you weren't treated the way you had hoped to be treated. I wanna tell you I'm sorry. I wanna tell you I'm sorry. But I also wanna say, uh, could we let you, could we make it up to you? Can we make things right? I, I don't wanna stay in that position. I don't wanna stay in that predicament. And, and I, I wanna invite everyone here to be part of a small group not so that we can get something out of you, but so that God can move in your life in a greater way. The first step away from God is, is this attitude of, I have no need for you. The first step away from God is an attitude of, I have no need of you. And so we can come in this building on Sundays and we can be friendly with each other and be nice, right? I didn't see anyone throwing punches in the lobby, so that's good. But we can be friendly with each other without necessarily being friends. 
We can be cordial with one another without doing life together. There's a, there's a verse that always stirs my heart. At the end of Galatians, Paul writes, bear one another's burdens and thus fulfill the law of Christ. He says to bear each other's burdens and thus fulfill the law of Christ. And a profound thing that you know, a, a wise man taught me many years ago was that if I don't share my burdens with others, I'm actually preventing them from being able to obey God out of pride. If I don't share my burdens, if I'm not vulnerable with somebody else, a brother or a sister, that means I am inhibiting them from being able to love God in an effective way. And so at this time, if I could have small group leaders and house leaders come to the front, and we're just gonna have a moment where I'm gonna ask you to share your burdens with these leaders and let them bear them with you. Is that okay? I got a little okay. <laughs> and I know it's gonna be a moment that's gonna take courage, that's gonna take vulnerability, but I want you to be courageous enough to share whatever you're going through right now with these leaders up here and give us the privilege and the honor of serving you. And I think about Jesus hanging there on the cross. Y'all know he hung naked. He was naked up there for you and for me. Would you have a little bit of courage like Christ right now by coming to the front? I'm just gonna pray really quick and then I wanna invite y'all to the front. Holy Spirit, would you have your ministry right now? Holy Spirit, would you put your finger on the thing in our hearts that isn't right with you? God, would you highlight the area in our life that's a burden to us, that, that, that hurts us, that wounds us, and would you give us the courage to share it with one of these leaders up here? God, we're not meant to go through life alone. We're meant to do it together with one another and be obedient to you in that. And God, I pray that for those that are gonna come up, they would have courage to do that, that as they're walking up, you would fill them with an outpouring of your blessing, an outpouring of your spirit like they've never had before, and that you would minister one to another. Wherever two or more are gathered in my name, I will be in their midst. Where two or more gather right now. In Jesus' name, amen. If that's you, if you have a burden and you want to share it and you need someone to pray for you, would you come up to the front now?